Yo, what up, people? It's your boy Trav Dave. Back in the building, back in the place to be. Um, this is my new show. So welcome to everybody that's going to be checking this out. This will be coming out soon. It's my new show called Needle to the Groove. Now, let me explain the show to y'all. Um, I'm a hip-hop dude. Anybody that knows me knows me. I'm a hip-hop dude through and through. Some call me a historian. Some call me a snob. Whatever it is, I'm a hip-hop dude. Um, I always feel like I always put DJs over rappers. Always, always think DJing is just the dopest thing. Um, you know, rappers come and go. I think DJ is something you can do for the rest of your life. Um, you know, you can start at age six, you can end at age 96. Um, it's just something I love about the culture, and I just happen to have a lot of DJ friends. Um, you know, I don't know if it's coincidence or just the way things worked out, but um, today I get to sit down with one of my friends. Um, somebody I consider uh, a friend and family. Somebody that I can always call when I just need some advice or just pushed in the right direction, with, especially with technology. With any questions, he's, um, I, I would say he's a local celebrity. Um, you know, he, he tries to be humble about it, but um, I've been outside with this man. I've been outside, been in the club. We done chopped it up plenty, plenty of times. Phone calls, he never once not answered my phone calls or not returned a phone call for me. Um, I would say this man is a renaissance man. Um, the definition of getting it done, when I think about this dude, this dude, um, whatever it takes, he does it himself. He learns how to do it, he perfects it, and then he shares the knowledge, which is rare among people in our arts. They, they do not like sharing the knowledge, and this man loves to share the knowledge, and like I said, he's always a phone call away from me. So, uh, no further ado, man, I want to give it up one time for my man, DJ Crate Digger. What up, what up, what up, what is going on, brother? Man, you know, man, uh, trying something new, man, trying my hands on something new, you know what I, you know, you know what I do, you know what I love to do, so, um, this ain't nothing new to us, but, uh, for the listeners, you know, um, we, we go way back, man, and um, before we get into your history and all that, though, um, I want to check with you. See, how you doing, man? What's, what's good, you man? Know, can't complain. This COVID thing is kind of coming and going. And oh, yeah. COVID thing is real. Throwing a, a wrinkle in the system, but at the same time, I tell people all the time, it's like, I'm not going to ever say that COVID like, was a good look for me, but the whole situation around quarantine and COVID and all, a lot of different things that happened because of it was an opportunity for me to... Um, I won't say sit down because I didn't stop moving, but to, to be able to re-prioritize, uh, reassess, uh, gain, not necessarily new, well, not in part a new, but um, a different perspective on some things and realizing, you know, if energy that was being engaged in space A, was it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Um, pushing it to B or, you know, knowing like when A opens back up, am I going to be going? For sure at A the way I was before or you know and then some of it is you know technology I've always been a cat who's tried to push um, visual elements for example into my art uh, yes. for many years and kind of COVID was an opportunity and I, won't even, I mean it was an opportunity but it was also um, almost a mandate that I that I locked that in tighter than it was before um, you know, we'll talk about it a bit more later. But, sure. Uh, you know, as a guy who was who was live streaming back in 
Man, 2010, like you know, before it was common, before it was before a quarantine forced DJs to live stream. So, we're talking about like you stream back in 2010 when when you had to watch it on a laptop or periscope, yeah, stuff like that. Man, you know, phones didn't have the capability that they did now. So, when I was trying to live stream, I was live streaming for laptops and desktops from live from the club from time to time. It was something that I got to work. The audio level was great. The camera was what it was going to be because I was using my laptop for camera and Serato. Man, absolutely. But, you know, I say all that to say, like, the the concept of streaming and taking a, a club set or a DJ set and pushing it to folks who could watch it at home is not something that um, quarantine brought to the forefront of my mind. Um, it just technology wouldn't allow me to do it the way I wanted to. And then I got you know, invest in my space and time and finances and other things, developing the craft. So some one of those things that kind of just got left behind to an extent. But, you know, here we are. Here we are. Like, yeah, you are like, I always think about this, and this this is like a real minor detail, but um, during the RZA, RZA premiere uh, versus, and I remember like, remember how RZA's sound was really, really bad. And they was like, you need an iRig. You need an iRig. And all I could think about was like, I vividly remember you talking about getting the iRig like maybe three summers or two summers before that. Like, oh, yeah, because I want to do this and I need an iRig to make this happen. And every when I heard that, like, you know, it's nothing I never share with nobody. But it was just a moment for me like, yo, great. Okay, that's what Craig was talking about. Because you say that just regular. I need an iRig. I'm not a tech dude. So I'm like... You're like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an iRig. Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, in my mind, like, I can grasp the concept. Like, okay, you need something to connect that. But I didn't know what it was. When I heard RZA say it, like, you know, I was just like... It just clicked. Like, oh! You know, and and there's been plenty moments like that with you where, you know, over the years we don't have conversations and... um. I want to start, you've been DJing for over 20 years. One of the best DJs I've ever heard in my life, like, technically. But one moment that sticks out so vivid to me is the day we were at DJ O'Sharp's house and we, and y'all were practicing on Serato's. Like, I I don't know if it was like new, like, it was new technology then, but I'm not sure if you've ever been on it before, but I remember, like, it was like me, you, Rich, oh, um, a couple other people might have been there, but I didn't DJ, so but I was always around the crew. So I remember sitting on the floor and I remember everybody talking about Serato, Serato, Serato's, and I remember you uh, scratching on it and you know testing it out. And the thing that stuck out most from that night is you like, man, I understand it, but it's like I have, I have like .001 seconds slow compared to a record like the feel of it and that always stuck with me from that was like 2005 maybe 2006 and you know like it it, like as a person that like you know i know you grew up on vinyl obviously before the technology like what is the difference like you know what's the feeling for you between a vinyl record and a Serato's platter now in 2021? At this point, for me, there's no real difference in the response the way I was feeling it back in 06, 07 when I first started messing with Serato. And Serato's early, well, I won't say Serato's early stages or, or days, but my early days with Serato, which once again, 06, 07, um, 
laptops had different, you know, capabilities and, you know, we weren't all, at least most of us weren't fully aware of the spec needs and all that. So we were like, yo, I just need a MacBook or a MacBook Pro or some kind of PCs. And you didn't have a full understanding of like, all right, well, I need to upgrade my RAM from 16 to, from 8 to 16 or from 2 to 4 or whatever. We just knew that Serato had these minimum requirements. If you could copy a laptop with those minimum requirements, you was pretty much good to go. Um, so moving forward, you know, 15 years from that, generally speaking, between me playing records with a needle, you know, analog records with a needle and... Serato, whether I'm using a needle with a control tone or I'm using phase, the response is relatively like the same. For me, the only difference is having the touch because, you know, playing with needles, you still got to have a certain touch that you don't have to have with, with Serato. Okay. And, you know, that's one thing like um, when I, you know, over quarantine, I picked up the, you know, as now I call it a hobby. I'm not a DJ, you know, but I, lo I love it. So, I've been practicing it. Oh, always tells me like you need to touch records. Like you're never gonna understand. Do you believe that? Like if if somebody is starting to DJ and they like say they're 16, and they're starting to DJ. Do you believe that they need to touch records or is the controller just cool? Like so, my generally speaking, my answer is always your why determines your how. So why you want to DJ? theoretically determines how you learn to DJ. So if you just want to play music, <laughs> touching records ain't really important. But if you want to, and I, I use this, I, I phrase this in a certain way where I'm, I don't try to come across as the end-all be-all <laughs> of what is and what isn't DJing. But like if you want to DJ in the context of creating experiences using music to to as an art form and using music the same way you would use a paintbrush or the same way you would use an aerosol can or if you kind of want to use music to express in an artistic creative fashion my belief is even if you don't get great at it is to understand and touch records because it gives you an understanding of how to and not to get too kind of in in the in the weeds with it understand how to transcend that audio and the physical this is what the show is about like let's nerd out yeah, like so I, I, I want people to understand this is a we're talking to djs yeah so it's, there there's a there's a a, a, a a physics space that comes with playing records when you have to physically move something forward backwards in the time out of time and have that line up with something else so it's kind of like uh, old school cats who used to play pole position or spy by spy <laughs> or whatever, and you yeah, had to yeah. line up and get your car on the back of that transporter or on the back of that that sixteen wheeler. Make it make sense. Yeah, yeah, so you had to line it up. You had to be going at the right speed. You you know you had to be lined up centered in the truck. You got to be in the right speed so you're not going too fast and you shoot yourself into the back of the truck. Not going too slow where the truck pull off. It's like all of those kind of three dimensional concepts come into play when you're touching records in ways that they're not when you're using a controller in part because most controllers don't have moving platters yes. they just have something that you spin forward speed it up drag it back punch in with your with your buttons yeah with the turntable and records whether you use a serato or analog you physically have to have a certain manipulation the same way when you're driving knowing how to how to steer that wheel it's kind of like 
imagine learning how to drive but never using a steering wheel, just using yeah. like a, a, a PlayStation controller or, a, <laughs> yeah. or an Atari joystick. Like you can do it physically, but imagine every time I drove, I drove with a controller. Yeah. And then you tell somebody like, nah, you just got to grab you a, a, a steering wheel and have to use a, a, even if we're just talking automatic, brake and accelerator pedal. Like that's a whole different experience, even though you're doing the same thing. It's a different experience. It's a different engagement in your brain and your body. So I say all that to say I think that anyone who wants to DJ, regardless of what level, what type of vibe, genre, all that, it's the same as if you want to be a musician, you don't have to learn how to, you don't have to read music to yeah, be a musician. Yeah, it's a film. But read, learning how to read music don't hurt. It, it just adds no. to your skill set. It's just another, <laughs> you know, tool in the toolbox. Like some cats... You know, recipes, King Seven. I think if we if we made him, he could build a house with just a hammer and nails. Absolutely. <laughs> like like he we could, miss you, my brother. He could build a house with just a hammer if he had to. Yeah. However, if he had some other tools in the toolbox, it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. My opinion is the same thing. It doesn't hurt, especially even if it's just to have a mental placement and a mental perspective of what it's like to play records, especially if you're mixing whether you're scratching or not, just to blend two records. I think that gives you a, a context and a perspective that you won't get from just using controllers. I, I absolutely agree. Because um, in, in my practicing, DJing is hard. It's not as easy as it seems. And, you know, I always prided myself, um, you know, it was like, oh, I hang around DJs. I know that I know it, you know, until I actually did it. And then, you know, I had another perspective. I'm like, wow. No, my friends are very good. Like this ain't just like, you know, oh I can I can shoot a left hand layup and no, this is this is a different this is technique. Um speaking of which, what is your weapon of choice? What is is techniques twelve hundreds? Is there a particular controller that you do like? What is your weapon of choice when you go to war? Um, tech twelve hundreds, I can use twelve tens. Um Pioneer makes a new turntable, you know, so, you know, I, I can work with Newmark TT20s. I think they TT20s, <laughs> they used to be called, you know. So, generally speaking, the turntable isn't that important to what I do, but I, you mm. know, but, and I say that in the context of, you know, I don't want to belt drive, you know, turntables. <laughs> yeah, those if I, Yeah, if I can have someone with a direct motor, generally speaking, that's all I need, so... You know, I, I rocked with the new marks for many, many years, in part because I was doing gigs with bands. So having that plus minus 10 pitch instead of plus minus 8 that you have on the text allowed me to be more versatile when I was doing things with bands and different artists. But I'll say all that to say, two turntables. If you give me a, a Pioneer S9 mixer, that's love. If I don't have an S9, I still got dicers where I can cue different things. Um, but you know, and then you know, I can use Serato, I can use vinyl. But you know, if I, if 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 I could just walk into a space and have everything I wanted, two Tech Twelve Hundreds, a mm -hmm. Pioneer S Nine, my Phase, and my laptop. And, and you know, you money. Yeah, and then anything else you add to that, you know, you give me an able, you give me an Ableton APC, you know. Oh, uh, then you really go yeah, add <laughs> APC Forty. We can add the Ableton drops and the loops and. Oh yeah. You, know, you give me. Fuck, you give me two kunga drums, we adding the drumming Going in. Crazy. You know, so. Going crazy. But at bare minimum, two turntables and a mixer, and, you know, good to go. 
So, in my personal opinion, I always felt like you were like the DJ Scratch of Columbus. Um, you know, um, why or how, how did you get so good at scratching? Because, again, you know, with me practicing, it's, it's not easy. It looks easy. I've watched tons of videos. Um, even, you know, when we're super backpack phases, I used to watch Qbert videos all the time. It was nowhere near no turntables, but I love what Qbert did. Um, you know, so when I watch you, and this is one particular story that I want to say. It's very simple, but um, you were scratching and then you were playing um, Jack and Diane and you would be like a little ditty and then you would play something and you play and you kept playing a little ditty part. Then you played Puff and it was just so like creative and amazing to me because I don't, you know, to me, I caught it fast like, oh, shit. It keeps saying a little ditty, and I get what he's talking about. Like, and just to watch you perform that, I'm like, yo, this, this he's a mad genius. And I think you know, all of our collective as friends look like look at you as a mad genius. Like, where did the scratching and creating come from? Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think first and foremost, um, my first kind of musical education space was West African drumming. What that means is, in West African music specifically, but not just in, in that space, polyrhythms or mini rhythms is a, is a foundation of the music. So you're going to have somebody playing something on the one, two, and the four, somebody else playing something on the two and the three, somebody yeah. else playing something on the one and the four, somebody else playing something on one, two, six, and eight, and they all overlapping. So like being, you know, being first, second grade, learning how to drum and understanding and having to learn and understand at that young of age how to play what my rhythm is, having all my tones and all the things inside my rhythm being crisp and clear, but still being able to hear and understand the placement of my rhythm inside of all of these other spaces um, allowed me to kind of see music in a three-dimensional way to where... I can then replicate through specifically through scratching sections of a rhythm right and knowing how that rhythm counteracts but still sits with whatever track I'm playing. Or in my brain, I'm playing to this track that's a 4 4 whatever hip hop format, yeah. but I'm not on the four. I'm working in a 16. So the track is going four by four. And I'm going one by 16 to come back. So just having that kind of three-dimensional understanding of music and then, you know, rocking, you know, once again, you know, uh, we're going to nerd out. So, <laughs> yeah, so, we so nerd out. This is what we do. But, this, but, this is but, what the show's going to be about. But, but just having that kind of those chops that, that I understood didn't have to sit in that Western construct of music. Because while I listened to Michael Jackson, Marvin Gaye, you name the greats, I was listening yeah. to them before, it's I was, our era, so yeah, yeah, before I was learning how to drum, I learned, really learned how to be, not just wasn't hearing music, but I really learned music in the context of that West African construct, which is not always, very rarely is it a 4-4 four, four, or a four, one two three four yeah. concept. So I learned music a different way. 
from jump. So as I move forward into hip hop, it was already team, embedded in you. You really, I'm already hearing it different. I'm already seeing yeah. it different. I get it. I can understand. It, I can engage it. But I'm. It's almost like I learned a different language first, and then hip hop was a second or third language that I learned musically. So it's like. You know, and I was talking to Otis about this. It's like playing along with a band. You hearing it different and than I, most people. So you know when to, like, all right, I see where they're going. I can make it make sense, but I can still be me. Because I still, go. my opinion is, even when I'm scratching, I'm not just scratching on top of the track and making noise. And And so the next statement is not follow-up to the statement I just made yeah but there's times where rappers rap over the track and yes. they're rapping because their voice is supposed to sit out front of the track and everything else sits in support of that very rarely do I scratch as the scratch being the piece out front I scratch with the intent of making the scratch another layer or another instrument another voice in whatever track I'm playing so take that to what you're asking about the band. When I rock with bands, I'm, in my mind, I'm just another member yeah, of the band. I'm just another instrument. And my job is to sit in a spot that someone else doesn't have. It's like imagine if the bass player and the keyboard player and the guitar player always played in the same musical space. It'll be like... That's trash. It's yeah. boring. My job is to listen to what everybody else is doing, find my little pocket, my space, know when to come up a bit, come down a bit, and then once again, how to engage the overall theme of whatever the song, vibe, whatever is. But because I'm not playing something that's notation-based, but rhythm-based, and then if I'm using acapellas or whatever, word-based, I'm then incorporating that content into the space to be another voice in the greater um, grouping of of the band. Are y'all good? That's book. <laughs> tell them come come hard to show. I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like I, I I say all that to say I learned music in a different way than a lot of other folks. So when it came to me being engaged actively in hip hop culture and DJing, I just approached it like it was a second or third language because it was musically. Um, and then how did I get? Good or great? It's <laughs> great. So practice. Practice. To be honest, like I tell people all the time, and I'm not gonna tell the whole story, but you know, I started DJing in 1997, so we're nearing 25 years almost. My process to learning how to DJ was: I was a sophomore at Kentucky State University. I was running cross country at the time. I would get up at six o'clock in the morning for cross country practice. Go to classes. We have practice again in the afternoon or early evening, you know, you get done with practice, you go to dinner, study hall, whatever, whatever. And around seven o'clock, I'll go to my homeboy Sakari's room. We stayed in the same dorm. He stayed, a, you know, a couple doors down. I would go to his room. He would just let me practice. And I would practice, I would put a tape in. I would literally practice for hours, sometimes until two, three in the morning. The tape would done flip over, cut off, and I was still practicing. <laughs> and, you know, I love him to death. He's a brother of mine. He wouldn't get mad and kick me out. His girl would be in the room sometimes, and she wouldn't give him a hard time about why is he still in here. But like, yeah. he would let me just go, and you know, three or four hours a day, a night practicing. I would take my tape out, go back to my dorm room, put the tape in, and listen to my practice session, and fall asleep to it. 
until it was time to get up at 6 and go to practice. So I was doing that every night, except for Fridays or Saturdays, if he had a party to do. Yeah. I was doing that every night, you know, linking up with him on the weekends. We would practice for hours, and I was just doing that every night. And it just got to the point where practice, 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 you know, turned into my first gig, roughly six weeks. You know, homecoming of 97 is my first gig, so roughly wow. six weeks of learning. And I... So I always tell people I didn't learn. And this is vinyl days. Yeah. So I didn't even learn how to DJ to become a DJ. I wanted to learn how to DJ just because it was just another kind of the next step or the next page of my just musical, you know, interest. And, yeah. you know, having seen DJs on Rap City and, and Yo! MTV Raps, et cetera. So I understood, like, all right, if you move the fader like this, it does this. If you move this part, it does this. Having had a little, you know, turntable when I was a little, little kid. I tell people all the time, and it's in the documentary, you know, I used to scratch 45s of Disney songs. It's like, you know, Disney used to have a movie, you used to have your songs. So I still got, you know, my Mary Poppins and my, you know, Ballad of Davy Crockett and all those 45s at the crib that I used to scratch on on my little plastic, you know, turntable or whatever, no slip mats or nothing, and it was sounding horrible, and I'm probably sure I made up some needles. hilarious. But, you know, so even as a little kid growing up and seeing, you know, Herbie Hancock and Rocket and Grandmaster DST and all those things, seeing them like you were talking about seeing DJs, you try to mimic it. And then you get to a point where, you know, I had the opportunity to to not just mimic the scratching, but now actually learn it and understand the physics of, uh, of the mixer and the turntable and how they work together and pitch control. And then, you know, once again, growing up with parents who collected records before I was even born, but growing up listening to OJs and Funkadelic and, you know, name name the funk soul pioneers. Yeah, and all. You heard it. You know, so when it was my time to play music, I was already understanding like, oh, that's a sample of that. Or that's from that. Or, you know, so knowing Sweet Sable and knowing Eddie Kendricks and knowing, you know, of course, Ozzy Brothers and Biggie, and the list goes on. Like, that's how I learned to DJ, you know, at the beginning. So, quick question. What was the first record, vinyl, that you bought with your own money? Wow, that's a great question. I don't even know if I really remember. Um, I feel like the very first records I bought were trash. Wow. In part because... So... When I was learning how to DJ, I was using Sakari's records because he had been, you know, buying the records and, and all those things because he would be. He was already in the game. He, he's in the game DJing on campus or whatever. So my thought was, I think this was like the, the I feel like I might have had some records before that, but like jump ahead to, to winter of 97, I had come home for, for winter break after first learning how to DJ and I probably went to. I don't know if I went to Use Kids or Singing Dog. I think, One I, of those I, think I went to Singing Dog on campus. Staples yeah. in our city, Columbus, Ohio. So I probably went to Singing Dog on campus, and I probably looked through the hip-hop joints, and I was just looking at stuff that Sakari didn't have because my thought process was, if he's already got these records, I need to have records different to add to the general collection of what we do in We're a collective. Yeah, yeah in these parties. Sense. And I probably picked up some shit that was trash, that, like, oh, I heard this artist, or, you know, fat cats who... who used to buy records would know like you may hear insert whatever artist may have a hot record out 
and you might be like, all right, well, this is another song by that same artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might Especially be, back then. Yeah, it might be trash. So I feel like the first records I bought with my own money were probably something that <laughs> I don't remember because they weren't good. But the mainstay of my record collection beginning with that time frame was me honestly taking my records from my dad. My dad had packed, <laughs> the pops. Yeah, pops had, had packed up the records and they were in the basement or in the garage and boxes or whatever. And, you know, I knew where they were at. And I so yeah, so I just go through them like, all right. I I know I'm not gonna play a whole bunch of OJ's at the college parties, right? But oh, this has for the love of money on it. I want this, or this has, or has this has this break yeah, look that I or, can. This is the Parliament Funkadelic that has this is that. Yeah. So it's like so really like the beginning of my record collection is really just me taking records out the basement from my pops or out the garage from my pops, and then as I was doing more gigs, what we would do is we would do a party say. Friday night we would do a party, we'd get paid. Saturday morning we would get up and go to Louisville or Lexington and go record shopping. So like I first started developing my record collection with some guidance under Sakari, doing a gig, earning, you know, fifty bucks or whatever yeah. the night before <laughs> and going to spend forty of that at the record store the next day. So you can have the next gig. Yeah, yeah. just adding on every week, you know, trying to have a little bit of, you know, ten bucks or whatever would go a long way in ninety seven. You know, when you're in college. Absolutely. So, so, with you being really proficient at scratching, and and is there, like, when do you know, like, if you're in a party environment, you're rocking the club, you know, and I've seen you many a times, do you decide when to scratch or when to just a party rock? Or is it just however you feel at the time? So, it, it, it depends. It's always case to case. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to say this for the listeners because I know there's going to be a wide range of understanding and context. There's so many different scratches and ways to scratch. Um, so it's not always like me just doing a Qbert style scratch solo over top yeah. of every. Sometimes it's as simple as a baby scratch just to bring the next song in. Or sometimes it's, uh, it's not really a reverse or inverted, but it, like I'll scratch the snare at the end of something and then bring the volume fade I mean the track the, the channel fader down so it almost sounds like a scratch echo out so like there's different ways you could scratch so let me let me take a half step back scratching is basically just moving the record back and forth to where a certain sound is picked up by the needle whether yes. it's a snare or a kick Mm -hmm. uh, bass, a vocal word, whatever it is. So scratching is really just moving the record back and forth. Now, the speed at which you move it back and forth, what sound you catch when you move it back and forth, what rhythm you use, what the channel or crossfader is doing, all factor into what the scratch sounds like or what style of scratching. So there's so many different ways, but with that being said, I tell people to the core, no matter what I'm playing, I, I can do a mentioned it earlier i can do a pop rock 87 yeah absolutely. I'm, I'm gonna scratch because to the core i am a hip-hop dj ah, so i don't I care it. if i'm doing 80s michael mcdonald i don't care if i'm doing yeah. <laughs> if i'm doing biggie it, it doing, don't matter you know if we're doing sean paul and don penn it don't matter what what the genre is I'm going to scratch because I'm a hip-hop DJ. And I manipulate the music and manipulate the records for the overall experience and the overall audio product. But when, where to do it, what styles, how to use it, all becomes kind of like if you're a chef, you know when to 
when, when you need to whip something versus, <laughs> versus stirring it versus, you know, boiling it versus letting it simmer versus a pinch of salt or a dash of salt or a quarter. Absolutely. You know, so all of those things make it make sense. You know, become ideally you pick those things up in your learning to be a proficient DJ. And then even with that being said, people will say, well, you know, people don't really want to hear scratching in the club or what. No, they don't want to hear trash. They don't, want, they don't want to hear trash scratching. They don't want to hear trash blends. They don't want to hear trash music in the club or anywhere else. So it's not necessarily that there's a time and place for it, but knowing how to do whatever it is to a high level or to a certain proficiency. So when you do it, even if people don't get it, it sounds good. Or they were like, ah, oh, I get it. Or that that's dope. Or I don't know exactly what he did, but I understand why he did it because he got us <laughs> from A to B or whatever. Yeah. The same way, if I'm just standing back and watching Big Mama cook in the kitchen, I don't got to understand everything she's doing or why. Well, what does this spice taste like? Or what is this? why do you use this seasoning and not that? Or why do you use butter and not margarine? And I don't got to understand that shit. You I just got to watch it. And if, if it's good, it don't really matter. Now, um, this is a question I'm probably going to ask every DJ that I talk to. Do you feel the best producers started out as DJs? And I think, and, and this is example I'm always used. Look at Jimmy Jam. Look at DJ Premier. Look, you know, look at Dr. Dre. Look at Just Blaze. Look at Swiss Beats. Just those those guys in particular started out as DJs, and then they, you know, obviously went to their production career, and but they still do DJ. Look at. You know, even a track, um, DJ Scratch. Um, you know, do you feel like being a DJ first has an advantage over, you know, somebody that's just like, oh, I make beats. Have an advantage, absolutely. Now, while all produce, I, very rarely do I say all anything, and and by no means do I think all producers have this blind spot. But a lot of people who are strictly producers or producers first understand, once again, my opinion, understand and approach their production from a space of creating music, either for an MC, a, a singer, or even as an instrumental track. And that's kind of how they, they, they contextualize their perspective of, of, of the creation and the completed product. DJs approach music from a different space because our job is to take that created content that thing that song that track and then put it in a space to make it not necessarily palatable or digestible but we then uh present it to the public in a certain way so a lot of d uh, a lot of producers don't understand or, or fully appreciate the quality or the the value of a four or eight bar intro before the verse starts. Yes. And um, again, as a practicing DJ, that shit matters, bro. Because when I'm trying to blend records and there's no... There's no, there's nothing to blend. <laughs> all, I, all I can do is slam the record. Yeah. And again, my DJ, you know, skills are very limited. As of now, I will get better. I promise you that. You know, but being around you, being around the crew, you know, 
watching y'all, like, yo, y'all make it seem so easy, but it is so difficult, bro. And those four bars and eight bars in the beginning of a song saved my life. So, saved my yeah, life. So just having a, uh, having, uh, having a DJ that's now a producer understands, like, like for this to work in the club, and not, not even if it's a good song or not, but for a DJ to even want to bother with this song, it helps me to help them. Yes. So I'm going to give this song a four-bar intro before we go into the verse, or eight-bar intro before we go into the verse, or whatever the structure of the song is, because the DJ can then blend it without having to do a whole bunch of slamming or catching or yeah. whatever. Or, you know, or if I have, you know, while there's no hard, fast rules, theoretically you want to have a four- or eight-bar chorus because then it allows me to start the chorus and the next song at the same One, time. One, two, three, four. Boom! And I can go right out of the chorus into the and next. Right into so the like, next record. Or knowing that there's breakdowns. You know, we can talk about classic hip-hop history and, and, and hip-hop culture. Break dancing, breaks, how those sections of the music, like a lot of DJs that became producers, even though they weren't classic funk sounding breaks or breakdowns they understood the, the the value in having that dynamic in the music yes. so even if it's not just for the intro or the outro but there's a section so if we just talk about DMX party up alright now let me go on record saying I fucking hate that record but, but, but it's a perfect example it because it's a perfect <laughs> example because it's a very commercial Lee, or at least now is a very commercial song, right? Gonna make me lose my mind. Yeah. But Swiss was smart enough to put that break at the end. One, two, meet me yeah, outside. Cool. So even if, even if you don't want to play the whole song, you can drop it right there. One, two, meet me outside. Makes and, and that little break gives the DJs one more thing with this record. To make it valuable when, once again, we didn't have laptops where you could have 45,000 songs at your disposal. Right! You had right, a fucking, right, 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 right. however many crates or however many cases or... So at some point, you only had so much music you could bring to a gig. Every fucking record mattered. It mattered. And, and to that, sometimes some records you had to have doubles. So for every song, I gotta have two of those, which means one less record of another song gets put in the case or in the crate. Or so you can make so it hopefully has an instrumental on the other side. Yeah. So you can blend because if you don't have that four bar, then so if I got this one record that's a good or song or a dope song, but it also has a dope break inside of it, that made this song more valuable to the DJs, which is like, yo, I can't leave this uh, I can't leave this out even if I don't love the song I can't leave this out because if at the least if people want to hear it and I don't want to rock the whole song I could throw in the break and I can make my own on the fly aviate breaks type setup. I feel you. Yeah. so so to your question my my belief once again is being a DJ then a producer is just another tool in the toolbox to ideally create and present a dope uh, product Outside of hip hop, because you clearly said that you're a hip hop DJ, what is your favorite genre to play? Favorite genre to play? Because I, I've, uh, 
you know, we can we can talk about the standard lounge at the red zone and what you did to that. Um, should we can talk about snaps and taps and what you did to that? And you know, that's that's just your history in Columbus and you know, but what you know, this is about you. What is your favorite genre genre to play outside of hip hop? I don't know that I have a favorite to be honest. I like different I like playing different genres at different times, and I think because I'm a, a, a wide range, I have a wide ranging uh, understanding and appreciation for music. Like I can, and you see, I can come to the redo and do a whole hour of slow jams, yes. and it not be sleepy and like. So for me, it's less about the genre, and about like, what can I do to make this thing interesting? It's kind of like somebody who loves math. Like, how can I make trigonometry fun? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody else is like, "Fuck this shit." <laughs> like, what yeah. do I need this for? Yeah. So, like, so, like, I can I can do some neo soul joints because they have a hip hop sensibility in the sense that there's a level of of street uh, energy, hip hop energy to it, but still an R and B's you know soulful vibe to where you can still have great vocals, harmonies. And the R&B soul element, but the music isn't, um, some people call it, may call it sappy or whatever. It still has, to me, a, a, a certain hip-hop tinge to it. Um, like reggae, you know, I could play reggae all day. I love reggae. You know, not just dancehall, but like reggae. Like dub. There's a difference. Yeah, too. like I could play reggae, we can play dub, and we can play dancehall. So it's like... You know, for me, and then, you know, once again, I tell people all the time, like, depending on where you grew up, even if you grew up, you know, I was born in 78, so when I'm, you know, 10, 12 years old, we're just talking about the top, you know, 88 to 90, hip-hop wasn't on the radio like it is now. Absolutely not. So, like, on a Sunday morning, you're listening to Casey Kasem in the top... Top 40, baby. Top 40, you know, in the... those. So you're hearing, you know, NXS and... Rod Stewart and I love Springsteen. It. I grew up in Newark. I tell people all the and, time. And the cars. And, yeah, so like I can do a 80s pop rock set and it be dope and funky. We're doing that, you know, we call it a VKO set here, you know, the, the urban, the former urban contemporary AM ch- ch- station. But you can play, you know, Terrence Trent Darby and. Yeah, man. You know, so for, the for me. Yeah. No, I mean, anything like that. I mean, obviously that's our air. Yeah, so for me, it's, it's, it's less about the genre and just like taking whatever the the music is and finding a dope way to re to present it to to just like to put my spin on it no pun intended yeah. um, and then also like give me like like imagine walking into the kitchen and being like all right i got two raspberries a cucumber half a bagel and some pumpernickel seeds like what can I make? Yeah, what, <laughs> what can, can I make? make? Yeah, what can I make? Like and what can I make good? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So so like that's kind of how I, I like to approach it. Is like how can I just take this music that on its own in its own space has a quality or a value, but put it together so it's a cohesive quality kind of meal, like audio meal. Um, that's what I really enjoy doing. Why? Maybe you have, and this is me assuming, but. Have you ever tried, or why haven't you been a, a radio DJ? 
So I have been a radio DJ. Uh, the year was late 2003, early 2004. Okay, uh, we so. were on, and I, I want to say it was WSMZ was the call letters. But um, shots of my brothers, uh, Alonzo and Wally. Oh, man. They, they, they had a crazy run, and I, I salute them, brothers. Yeah, so uh, Innate Enterprises uh, and myself, along with uh, Ed Mabry, had a hour-long neo soul um show on fm airwaves uh the show only ended because the station got sold and when the station got sold it uh, changed its format but um so I, i've done neo soul on the on the radio um i have done it i enjoyed parts of it other parts like weren't really fun um to your question i don't i think generally speaking i haven't fully pushed into the space of wanting to be a radio dj in in this city because of how it's I won't say how it's treated but it it's no let's talk about it let's no no so no I, I I'm, I'm intentionally choosing the, the words carefully because I want to be clear on, on what I'm expressing it's kind of like it's kind of like one of those things where you can see that it works in this market it has value in this market it draws people in this market all these things that you can see that are, that are tried and true and tested and proven about it, but somehow, some way, it seems. And once again, I'm saying this from a certain space of, of being on the outside of the bubble to a certain to a certain degree. It seems like all of those things that are proven facts about it are just dismissed. And it's like, oh yeah, well, mix show DJs don't really add like, like what? Like, like you can't t you can't tell me that. You can't tell me Funkmaster Flex works because he's in New York. He's syndicated. He works all over. Works all over. It works. It, it's it's a proven fact that works. DJ Chris Villa, West Coast cat. I actually started following him maybe two weeks ago. So it's like you could go across the country and you could talk about, you know, whether it's you talk about uh, Pete Rock in the 80s, 90s. Yep. <laughs> you could talk about Flex. And you could, like, the, the history is too exhaustive of... Record, I mean, even uh, Cali. Yeah, even. like, DJ is doing mixed shows. The record is too exhaustive for you to act like there's not a great significant value there. Like, if we just take it back a step to speak specifically about Columbus history, it was 90, 91, 92-ish. Like we weren't playing, they weren't playing hip hop on the radio. Period, unless it was maybe Salt and Pepper or <laughs> you know pop, like that, right. yeah, like that, like yeah, urban yeah, contemporary, yeah, yeah, yeah. like crossover hip hop, or you know MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, Salt and Pepper, just to name a few. But every Saturday for two hours, they had a hip hop radio show syndicated, a mix show. I don't know where, I don't remember where it was coming from, but it wasn't in-house. And you're absolutely true, because I didn't live in Columbus then, and I re vividly remember those two hours we put the radio on the porch, because my brothers, I got older brothers and older sisters, like, they love hip-hop. So and we're that, like, yo! And that's the only way you're getting it on the, the radio. That's the only way we're going to get it. So, like, so the radio stations back then, knowing there was a value for it, that they would syndicate a show, but... It's not the format of the, of the radio station, so you can't get too deep into it. Jumping forward, there was always this pushback like, 
you know, like there's not a value. My personal opinion is there was different people in, in different stations who were, you know, either tied to or themselves were the um, personas or the personalities. Yeah. yeah so if you yeah. talk about, you know, shows, if you, you know, whether it's a morning show or a night show, regardless of what time frame the show is, if the show is based around the personality, bringing in a DJ who's then going to be the focus, even if the DJ's not talking, if the fo if the DJ becomes and their mixes become the focus of the show. Egos get bruised. Ego truly. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so I, I know some of it was politics, um, but in the end, I just felt like I was too creative and my, my uh, skill set was, was too vast to be put in the box of working for the radio station 24-7 as a job now have i done mixes and done con contributions to radio both recently and years ago absolutely because i understand and appreciate the opportunity to share what i do creatively or artistically with as many people as possible but once again we know for the most part if you work a job that means you got a boss or a manager <laughs> yes and your boss <laughs> or your manager has a general uh, ability to dictate what it is you do, what it is you don't do, how you do it at your job. And that's just something, generally speaking, as an artist, I've always pushed back against. In part because, and I'm not going to say this from the context that I'm some super Negro and have some, yeah. some, some you know, non-above-human, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. but it's like, I see too many examples of how other folks don't get it. And, or don't understand it and because they don't understand it they immediately they fear it they fear it or they devalue it or, or, or just don't allow you to do what it is you do so I say all that to say that I've always tried to maintain a level of artistic um, discretion and artistic direction over what I do um, to where like you know you're not going to tell me what songs to play or what songs not to play because in the end, my job isn't to, like, we can train, if we, send, we send monkeys and dogs into space, we can train them to play music. Yes. Jukebox has been around since yes. before the 50s. So, like, if you just want music played. That's you know, easy. I don't got, you don't got to call me. I don't got to load no crates. I don't got to drag no cur no no turntables. Yeah. I, like, I don't have to do all this shit. I give you my iPod playlist. Yeah, if you just want music played, you don't need me. If you're hiring a DJ, theoretically, you want someone, not to just curate, because I think that word is misused at times, but you want someone to present the music in a way that technology alone can't. I love and it. And then when you, and when you then cut into that circuit, because you, the promoter, or it's your... It's your venue. Uh, yeah, or it's your brand. Or you want to be the star yeah, still. You want to be the star? Well, fuck it. Yeah, have at it. Yeah. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Like, yeah. you, you can DJ. Oh, but you can't. So it's like there's this there's this fight, and you know I don't say that in the sense of like DJs can just walk in and do whatever the fuck they want. However, ah, but let me cook. Yeah, let me do what it is you hired me to do. Let me cook. Because in the end, my you know my 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 coach and mentor, my man Rose says it all the time. It's like he's in Atlanta. Like you can throw a rock in Atlanta and hit seven DJs with the same rock. Like there's DJs everywhere. So it's not like yeah, you know, yeah, especially yeah. nowadays, it's not like it's really hard to find a DJ. Now I um, get called for gigs, like bro, like you see me post something on Instagram, like you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, now, are all the DJs the same quality and standard and skill set? No, but it's not hard to find someone to come and play music. So if you're contracting me to DJ, 
Like, let, let me cook. Let me do it. Like, the same way, like, you call somebody to come cut this tree down out in front of your house. Yeah. Like, you standing out there being like, you know what? You should use it. Like, you no. Should, no. You should. No. You're going to sit down. You're going to shut the fuck up. Let them cut down the tree. You're going to have you some nice firewood. A little more sunshine on the yard. But, once again, and I think it plays to something we haven't really talked about that's a bigger issue is, to an extent, like, DJ, it still seemed like a hustle or a hobby or something that... Like, oh, I can just do that. I can just, like, if times are hard, I can just go get me a laptop, borrow my homie's files, grab me a controller, and I can be a DJ. Yes. Or I work a real job, quote, unquote, and then on, the, on my off time, I, I DJ. And it's just something I do, and there's no real, I won't say there's no real, but there's a lack of respect for it in the context of, like, this isn't something that you just run to the to five and below <laughs> yeah. And, and grab. Like, I am a perfect example of that. Like, you know, I've always been around, you know, and it's not about me, but I've always been around y'all, bro. Like, but to that point, Craig, is like, once, once you start, you realize, like, oh, this is a skill set. This is not just, hey, I play music. Because, like you said, anybody can play music. I can play music. Mm-hmm. Like, I know music. You know what I'm saying? But to, be a DJ is a skill set, and I appreciate you, how you do it, and how good you do it, how serious you take it. Um, before we wrap this up, let's get into the streaming, because we talked about it in the opening, but you do shows now. Like, you're, you're I mean, I know you was ahead of the time with you stream, and I definitely want to give you your props for that, and kudos for that, because you were, I was there, I was the witness, I was around. So, streaming now... How does that benefit you, you know, going forward, getting more DJ jobs, you know, spreading spreading your name out there even more? Like, how does that help you? Um, many, many ways. I think first and foremost, it allows me to put my face, my brand, my product, my, you know, the, the Crate Digging universe. It allows me to put it in front of people who I may never physically cross paths with. So, you know, I want to say back in the day but you know generally speaking if you weren't at the club you weren't here in crate if you didn't come to the the festival or the concert or whatever you didn't hear crate if you didn't have whatever mixtape or whatever cd or if you weren't tuned into you know whatever website where he's dropping a mix you weren't tapped you, in with us yeah you you weren't, <laughs> you, you, weren't, you weren't gonna have that experience so you know there's some djs who like i've never seen or heard because i was never in said city Yes. That And that's the only reason. You know, YouTube started to change some of that, you know, to an, a certain extent where you could like, oh, I can see Jazzy Jeff DJ now because I've never been to a Jazzy Jeff or I can see so-and-so DJ yeah. now. So I say all that to say it allows me who I'm not, you know, no matter how good I am, and I say that objectively, no, how many, no matter how good I am, I'm still not on a notoriety level of a scratch of a jazzy jeff of a scratch bastard you know etc etc so there is just a certain level of of exposure or that i'm that i have to do the work to get so streaming allows me to put my once again put my 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 face my brand create digger universe into a space where literally anyone in the world who has access to the internet or to, you know, a phone network or whatever can access. Um, and it's helpful because, you know, 
ten to two in Columbus ain't ten to two in L.A. It ain't ten to two in Taiwan. It ain't ten to two in Senegal, West Africa. Oh. So you know, so being able to transcend the the limitations of a physical venue, whether it be space or time or location, um, and then also streaming allows a, a level of freedom to really play what anyone wants when I want. I don't have to do like, oh, this is a whatever, whatever type of club, or this is like, I can set the theme, I can set the vibe, I can change it if I want, you know, and then there's a whole nother level, specifically if we talk about streaming on Twitch, of community that happens inside each stream, whether it's, you know, in the chat, whether it's some folks just come to certain DJs on certain days because yep. that's their theme show or whatever. So there's times where like I'm DJing and for me, I want to say the vast majority, 99% of my DJ career has been about me playing the music and people kind of receiving that. Yeah, maybe they're dancing or whatever in the club, but like with Twitch specifically, I'm DJing and putting in, putting out that, that content. There's people in the, in the chat having whatever conversation. I can now hop in on the conversation, so I can loop a track, and we now having a, a talk show. I've been there, or we, you know, I've been in the track. Yes, or 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 now it's kind of like, oh, we just at a house party where we got music playing, and the music is dope. But like this point in time and space is about this conversation about whatever, or you know, once again, and there's too many to list, but all these different DJs who I've met and come across just because they DJ on Twitch. Not because I heard about so and so, but just being like, "Yo, I'm a DJ from so and so," or one of my mods say, "We're gonna raid this DJ today," and I'm learning. So it's just an opportunity to both see and learn about other DJs and have other people, other DJs, see and learn about you. Yes, it allows you know brands and booking and all that to happen, and you know and, and access to folks. But once again, you know, some folks ain't coming to the club. Yeah, flat out. Whether it's whether it's because they don't feel safe because it's too late. COVID. COVID. Like, whatever the reason is, you know, some people ain't coming to the club. But you throw up a live stream, you know, they could throw, yeah. throw it on the laptop. I put it on my TV. They, yeah, they could put it on the Roku or the Fire Stick or whatever. And I walk around and I clean my house. And then I talk shit to you and, you know, all the other DJs that we know on there. You know what I'm saying? And, and then so. also, you know, if I say you're at work. You know, instead of listening to Spotify or Pandora or whatever, you could turn on Twitch and you can hear your favorite DJs or hear DJs you never heard of and hear music that you're not going to hear played 17 times a day on the radio. And it's just an opportunity to 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 make, and it, this is kind of funny to say, but it's an opportunity to make the world smaller by giving you a chance to see how big the world is. Like, you know, yeah, it makes complete sense. Yeah, it's, it complete it's sense. just like, you know, there's just so much more out there um, and having the opportunity to like see it and have a taste of it, you know, it's just, you know, dope. And I, I want to be part of that. Um, I'm going to throw this out there, then we can go ahead and wrap this up. Maybe one day I can do like a Twitch podcast on your network. Well, man, listen, a, I got the channel. You got the channel. You just got I got the equipment. Well, you know, I mean, I just need a little backdrop. You know, I mean, my, I ain't got no curtains back there. We in a trap. You, you we'll have studios. You get, we'll get you a green screen. You know, you know so, what I'm saying? So it don't, it don't take much. But yeah, I mean, that's 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 easy. That's, you know what I'm saying? So, so I say this, and we talk about it, and you know, at some point, you know, I don't know what all the things that O talked about, but I know at some point when you interview Rich. 
Rich is going to talk about DPS and what that was like. Absolutely. That. And like that's part of what DPS originally was thought out to be was for a while and then different things happened but it was a matter of like we now have this and and even part of what you know usual suspects crew was when we created it it was this core this hub this kind of one-stop spot everything you need was in the crew everything was there so you know so dps same thing like you had your your heavy east coast cats you had your rb neo soul cats you had your talk show folks you had the, you know, so the same thing, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like I, I got the channel, but I can put anything, even if you got I, your I'm own serious. channel, even if you got your own channel, I can host your shows. Yeah, no, so, I'm, I'm serious because I know you do this and I know you do it at a high level, so it would definitely push me. So yeah, we we can talk about that. You know, yeah, and, you know, and you know, Clubhouse is a new thing. So actually, today was the first no. time my Spotify green room is the. Is that oh yeah, you you're right about that. But between these new Clubhouse Spotify green rooms and all these <laughs> you know, Google has one, I don't even know what it's called, but Yeah, you know, I was in things. one yesterday, Spotify Green Room with some industry cats and yeah. you know, they re, they they respect the boys, so So like just having that as the I don't even say the next, but a new option or another option to where, you know, I can like today I stream to Twitch, my website, and Clubhouse like all at the same time a simulcast across so have you know and if I wanted to I could add in YouTube I could add in Mixcloud I could add in a couple of different apps that I know and you know either know of or have friends who run so the opportunity to once again take whatever it is that people have to offer and push it out literally to the world is really you know up to you to decide what it is you want to share how you want to share it and you know the, the options to do it are relatively simple you know when you think about just in the time frame I've been a DJ and yes sir barriers and levels of entry and all the different things that have changed you know it's just at this point it's it's really like decide what you want to do because doing it is relatively simple man with that said I want to thank you my brother thank you for always helping me again you know I said at the top of the show thank you for always answering my calls thank you for helping me out with this technology game Uh, I super appreciate you um you're one of my favorite DJs, one of the best DJs I've ever seen in my life. I'm just proud that I could say that to you and give you your flowers. Appreciate you. Um, appreciate you. In, in the space. And um, man, we gonna uh, chop it up some more. Man, it's your boy Chive Dave. I'm signing off Needle Needle to the Groove. That's the name of the show. I'm sticking to it. I already Googled it. Ain't nobody really got the name yet. So that's gonna be the name of the show, Needle to the Groove. DJs, come rock with me, man. This is, uh, I want to express to y'all, you know, I want to talk about that culture, and, and Columbus especially, in that space, because I got a voice, and uh, I, I want to, uh, you know, get this out to the people. So, Craig Digger, thank you very much, man. Thank I you, appreciate man. you, I brother. Appreciate, I appreciate you for the opportunity to share, man. Thank uh, you. No problem. We out of here, y'all. Peace. Don't stop it. I got to give you these drops. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. One, two, one, two. What's good? This is the Craig Digger. You got to spell it right. K-R-A-T-E-D-I-W-J-A. I am the Crate Digger of the Mighty Sound Champion Crew. You are tuned in to my brother Trav Dave here on Needle to the Groove. Needle to the Groove. Needle to the Groove. Let's go! <laughs> Perfect.